Amen. Well, I am super excited about starting this series on the standard. Actually, that's a lie. I'm super excited every week to preach the gospel. I'll tell you, sometimes, and last week I just paced the house. I'm like, who wants to get saved today? One of you are getting saved. <laughs> I can't handle going a week. And some people are like, oh, you wanted church to be camp. They just don't understand. It's like pent up inside of me at times. And somebody, I mean, I felt like walking in the woods, getting the animals saved. Somebody's gotten, got to get saved. But it is building up inside of me. This message has been stirring in a while. And I don't believe it's just a message and we're going to put it on the shelf. But it's a, it's a consistent um, line that we're going to keep pulling ourselves back to. Um, it. And I like it. It really, God says that he's building his house. He's building his body. He's building his church line upon line, precept upon precept. And it's almost hilarious when you think about it. I mean, if you could see the picture sometimes in my mind that God gives me when I'm reading the word or he's downloading something in me, I seen now there's things on the floor. That's going to bug me. Um, I seen the church being built body upon body. Because you are the church, but all of us together make the church. And you can almost see it. Have you ever seen where those cheerleaders do those pyramids and they always put the fat ones on the bottom, you know, and the skinny ones on top? I was always a fat one on the bottom. Anyway, but it's almost like that, except when he was downloading this in me, I was seeing on top of each other person laying upon person, laying upon person, laying upon person. And into these walls that created this building. And I was, I was seeing it as if I was laying in it upon, upon, upon. Because he says, you are the stones. You are the living stones on which I am building the house. Right? But then I saw somebody in the middle of this, because of the weight, when they were feeling it upon themselves, as if they were trying to uh, hold, as in the fat ones on the bottom, the pyramid, trying to hold the weight in their own strength, that some of them, as they were being built up, said, I can't do this anymore, and pulled themselves out. And what happens to the house? Oh, what a great fall. Oh, what a great fall. When we sit there and we think that this is all about us and it's in our own strength that we're being built and it's in us and I am the church and then you pull yourself away from the church because I don't need the church because God comes right to me. It's like, wait a minute, where, where is that in this word? And so when he started downloading this uh, message to me on the standard, this series of the standard, I'm like, there's got to be a bring me back you know what obviously it's the word but he says there's something as if a, um, a builder when building the house grabs his level right to make sure everything stays level but in the old days they used come on what is this called plum bob that's right Brian looked at it. He goes, yep, yeah, mm -hmm, plumb bob. I know that. <laughs> and when God started downloading these, this series to me that, called The Standard, he gave me a picture of this plumb bob. And when I was in high school, I don't remember if it was 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, one of those years, every year they put me in shop class because I was tormenting to the, um, what did they put the girls in? Home ec. <laughs> girls went in home ec, guys went in shop. I wasn't in there two months, and the teacher kept bringing the vice principal, and, you know, by the ear. I'm not that old, but by the ear would drag me out of the class. And drag. finally, I said, you know, if you let me go to shop class, I'll behave. And in shop class, in metal shop class, I made a plumb bob. I loved metal lathes and wood lathes because you could take something and create something out of it. Well, now my string's going to... A plumb bob was one of the things I made. I didn't make this one. Mine was a lot prettier than this. Yeah. Of course, right? But in this message, God's... At first, I went to bobvila.com, just so you know. The construction king said that a plumb bob... How, how did he say it 
employs the law of gravity. And when it's attached to what needs to be plumbed, when that freely swings and comes to rest, and that's called the bob, it will tell you what's true. A right angle is called true. It will tell you what's true. And God says, this is what we need to do. If the bob, being the whole word of God, if we grab a hold of that, attach this to God, the string being love that attaches the whole word and God, our life will always be true. And then I thought, oh, that is so good, but it can freely swing, right? The cross before me, the world behind me. I mean, we sung it this morning, no turning back. Stay attached to God. Everything hangs on love. The whole world, my life will always stay true. Now, the problem is, at some times, and we all know them, and there's probably some sitting in here, they'll get way swung over here, almost pulled, and everything's grace, grace, do whatever you want to. Everybody's free to do whatever they want to. Or they swing clear over to this side, and then it's law, law, law. You know, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, and why are you doing that? And, and they will be the ones that point the finger at those ones, and they'll be the ones that point the finger at those ones, right? And then the world looks at us and says, see, God's own church can't agree. That stuff can't be true. But the only thing that keeps us completely true is love. When we take the whole world, stay attached to God, we'll stay true. And you know how we reach those that run over this side or run over that side? This. It's love. And it's not to stand right here where we're at because we're okay. As long as we're okay and we're going to heaven, you know, to hell basically to everybody else, right? You're like, oh, can't believe she said that. That's what you're thinking. That's where they'll go, you think. So you scream, you see somebody go that way, so you go, hey, get over here. That's not going to win them. The only thing that will win them is love, reaching out. That's why Jesus could hang with the, the drunkards. That's why he could hang with the sinners. He didn't have to sin. He didn't have to get drunk, but he could be with them. Why? Because he's love. And love can go right where anybody's at and, and look at who God sees them at, not as who man sees them at. See, remember, man looks at the outside. God looks at the inside. And if we're loving as Jesus, if it's, we're walking as Jesus, if we're forgiving as Jesus, we don't judge men by the outside. We don't even judge each other. We love each other. Do you understand? If we can just grab a hold of what true love really does, really looks at. And I know we've heard it all. We've been to weddings. We've, we've heard it all said love is, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, blah, blah, blah. I challenge you to study what that means. Love holds no record of wrong is one of them. That's why the disciples had to ask, how many times do I have to forgive my brother when he sins against me? You know why that is, why he said that? Because actually 70 times 7, I think some 70 times 7 or the multiplication of 70 to the 70th power I've heard people preach. Can you multiply that? Can you keep record of that? I mean, even if you, you know, made, you know, I remember that one. I remember no record of wrong. It means it's a consistent, ongoing. We were talking about this at group Thursday night. That you're a slave here to each other. Slave of love. You're a son here. And the only way you can serve and be a slave to each other, to love beyond condition, 
is when you understand who you are here. Remember, I preached that a few weeks ago. Jesus even, at the Last Supper, remember, the word said that knowing who he was, where he came from, and what he was about ready to do, then stood up from the table and could take the basin of water and wash the disciples' feet. Even his accuser, even the one that was going to desert him, could wash your feet. Why? Because he knew who he was, what he was called to do, and where he was going. So the only way you can truly love and truly serve each other is when you first understand who you are here. You have to get his love to love here. You have to get his forgiveness to forgive here. You have to understand your worth in order to understand their worth. Sorry, that had nothing to do with my message. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, so today we start the series, The Standard. The Standard. And the first thing we need to do um, is look at setting the standard. How do we set it? And here it is. Because this is called setting the standard. You can't find true until you know where to set it. So we have to set the standard first. Boy, that thing is heavy. I like it. Next week, over the next two weeks, I had to kind of shorten it. This was supposed to be a four-week series, but it's now a three-week series. Um, next week, we'll look at, Lord willing, um, unmasking the enemy. And then the following week, about raising the bar. Faith raises the bar. I like that. Uh, unmasking the enemy next week is going to be, um, I believe, eye-opening. All right, so this week, we need to jump right in here and and start by setting the standard or defining what's true. You can't find what's true until you set the standard. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Because what it is, is the bomb here. Because as long as we attach ourselves to God, the next thing we have to do is we have to understand this is the whole word of God. You can't take parts of it and say only parts of it are true because if only parts of it are true, the whole thing's a lie. You have to take the whole word of God as the Bob, if you want to put it that way, in order for you to find what's true. The whole word. And so I want to help you understand because we've heard so much talk, not just in this church, but other churches, other people, um, that there's a wave going around right now that is just right here. This part is for us. This part's not. The Old Testament's not for us anymore. We're New Testament Christians. That's a lie. We're whole word Christian. I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but if that was true, if God said the moment that Jesus came, the moment that Jesus died, the moment Jesus was resurrected, this half of the Bible is no longer um, valid. Why do you think he put it together then? Come on. Come on. It was, this was put together after, right? I mean, there was parchments, and, and but the word came together as a whole by the Holy Spirit, which is all of it is useful, profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for encouraging. The whole word. Do you think God was not big enough to say this isn't applicable anymore and rip this part off? <laughs> of course he's big enough to do that. The whole word, and I want to show you that in Matthew chapter 5. And I'll even, I'll even show you that Jesus said it. Because in Matthew chapter 5, if we look over here at verse 17. And I did a whole series, remember, on the Beatitudes. I think that was part of the birds and the bees, wasn't it? I like that. 
Right at verse 17, chapter 5, verse 17. This is Jesus. This is red letters. Or maybe it was red letter living. I don't remember. So many good series. They're all still on our website, by the way. Podcast, SoundCloud, whatever you want to go to. Uh, 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've heard it preached, actually. And I've heard other people say the same thing. Well, where he said right here that um, verse 18 uh, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. I've heard people say and even preachers preach. Well, that meant when Jesus hung on the cross and said it is finished. Sounds good, doesn't it? Okay. So now we're no longer under the law because Jesus said on the cross it is finished. If that was true then why did Jesus keep quoting it? Why did he go on then and preach the Beatitudes and said, you've heard it said. And then just before that, he said that I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then he goes on even in Matthew 22, where they ask him, what is, what is the greatest commandment? If that was true, he would have said, wasn't you just listening to me? I said, it's all over. You don't have to live out the commands. You don't have to live out the law. No, he said, okay, I'll tell you which one's the greatest. Come on. That alone should free you into understanding you need the whole Bible. The whole Bible has to be accepted as the whole word of God. You need it all. You need the index. You need the maps. It's all anointed. You need it all. You've got to accept the whole word of God in order to find true. Secured in God. Hanging by love, the whole word of God. You need it all. If you try to take any one of these three parts apart, you lose it. See, because all the Pharisees and the what he was saying here, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law took only this. Took only the word. And actually, they even believed the word was from God. The whole word was from God. But they didn't have this. They didn't have what all that hangs upon, which is love. And then some of them said, I'm rooted in God and all I need is love. But they won't accept all of this. The whole word of God. They're still missing it. I want to teach you that there's a standard that you can live your life by that will always keep you true. And you have to have all three of these together. Even Paul said in Romans 3.31, do we then nullify the law by this faith? So then I've heard people say, once faith came, we no longer needed the law. Paul even said, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. He said, we rather, we uphold the law. Jesus was teaching in the Beatitudes, not how to abolish it, not even how to fulfill it in your own strength. He's saying, now I can fulfill the commandments of the law in you because I'm in you. So it's not even you trying to do this. It's me in you. If you would allow me, when I'm in you, you're in me. I'm in God. As he prayed in the garden, remember? 
that you're not trying to be holy as God is holy. One of the commandments that always made me go, what? How can I be holy as God is holy? Because he's come to fulfill the law in us. He can be holy. I can be holy as he is holy because he is holy in me. That's it. There's no striving, no working, no toiling, no trying. No. It's none of that. It's God in me. Stand, stand grounded, rooted in him, hanging in love, holding the whole word. I can stay true. So the obvious, again, the obvious first step in setting the standard, be fixed in God. Be fixed in God. This line must be secured in God. Second step, grab hold of. I taught you a couple weeks ago. It's like the, the cross, the word of God. It's not just holding on to it. It's not just saying, oh, I've got it. It's cleaving to it. He talks about a cleaving too. Why? Because your hands can't hold on to anything else. When you're cleaving to, cleaving to the word. It's cleaving to. I'm holding so tightly to it, I can't pick up, you know, without a struggle, anything else. Because this is all that fills me. The word of God, a cleaving to, the whole word. The third step in setting the standard the line that runs from God to the whole word of God is love. We got to understand this. When they asked Jesus, again, like I just said in Matthew 22, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he said, and the second is as great as the first, to love others. As you love yourself. And he said, all the law and the prophets, every commandment I give you in the word, hangs on this. Love. If you can just get this, you'll fulfill all of that. But see, we're like, in order to get to God, we have to fulfill all of this. So we're trying and toiling to try to get to God by fulfilling all this. And we've forgotten love. It all hangs on love. We can't love until we understand that he first loved us. When we understand that love here and then here, and I apologize for those that are listening online. I'm doing a lot of hand gestures. I really do try to talk more uh, descriptive. But in order for us to truly love each other as God, as Jesus loves us, we first need to love or understand our love he has for us, right? Love as, love others as you love yourself. You can't love here unless you have, you know, if you have a problem loving here. I mean, let's just be honest. Have you ever struggled with loving yourself? Anyone? Anyone? Ah, okay, there's the honest ones. Thank you, thank you. You're like, no, never, mm -mm, love myself. We all have. Come on. You know, whether it's, you know, the morning you get on the scale or the day that zit pops out and you look at your face, not before the big conference, you know, or the big dance. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll make it applicable to every, or the big meeting at work that we all struggle with that. But, I mean, we're going through a book right now I quoted a lot by Watchman Nee. Real thin little book like this, and it's the, on the principle of sit, walk, stand. And he says that too many times people get that out of order and they try to walk out their salvation, walk out their Christian life, do, do, do good, do good, don't do bad, don't do bad, don't do bad, just do good, do good, don't do, stop doing bad. Just, and they forget that it first has to start by sitting 
by understanding who we are in Christ. Again, it's the love as you love yourself. If you can't receive and understand his love for you, you cannot love others the way you're commanded to. Because otherwise you'll start loving them as you love yourself. Well, you screwed up. You're a screw up. Haven't you said that to yourself? You messed up. Man, I'm a failure. Every time I mess up, I, I'm not just, I didn't just make a mistake. I am a mistake. Right? Pretty hard on yourself, right? That's how you'll treat others. You don't want to, and boy, you don't want to admit it, but you will. Because the principle is already set. Love as you love yourself. There's freedom in understanding this love to a place that you can do just as Jesus did. And when somebody's over, swung over that side or swung over to that side, when you understand your true love, your true value in him, that you can reach out to that one in love and not be swept away. That you can reach out to those ones that, um, boy, are just eh, contentious, mean-natured, stubborn. I mean, I could I could go through a whole litany of, of, of names here of people that you're like, you know, God's going to have to deal with that person because I just don't have it in me to reach them, you know. But you can when it's. God's love in you reaching out to them because he sees them for who they really are. That's how we're supposed to see them. But if you don't understand this, if you don't understand your value, your worth, your love in Christ, remember the time I preached the message about when we are hidden in Christ, it's like we go up underneath this big blanket of his love. He says you are seated. He has made you to set with Christ at the right hand of God. He has made you to set. And when we understand that, whenever we step out to reach those that we're called to reach, which is everyone, let's just clear that up, that it's not us in our strength, in our nature, in our abilities, in our talents, it's, it's like a blanket over us that we go in him, his love through us. They don't see us. And you know what? The word even says God doesn't even see us as us. He sees us in the face of his son. So when we screw up, when we mess up and we feel like a worm and we're crawling to God on our bellies, oh, don't even look at me, God. I messed up. When we come to him repentant like that, he's... I see my son. I don't see a mess up. I don't see a screw up. I mean, would you as a father or mother think that of your own child who comes back to you repentant? No. You're like, I don't see you. You're not a failure. I have to say that to my boys all the time when, you know, over the years and even my daughter that when you mess up doesn't make you a mistake. When you fail, it doesn't make you a failure. You can fail a thousand times. What does the word say? A righteous man falls what? Once and then he better not ever do it again. No. Thousand times. Hundreds of thousands of times. Let's just get that clear. Let's get that off the table right now. If you ever thought you're going to make the rest of this world, your life, without failing, you're sorely mistaken. I've already failed just in, in preaching up here. And you're, oh, it's failed. Yeah, I've caught myself. My mind has told me you shouldn't have said that already up here. But a righteous man will continue to get up. Why? Because he knows his value in God. And I tell God, I tell God all the time when I'm constantly checking myself, God, you know my heart. You know my heart. You know my heart. Keep your heart right. Keep your heart sunk <laughs> in God. 
holding on to the whole word of God in love, and you have nothing to worry about. True, true freedom is found. I like in the Bible in John 8, 31 through 32, the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my, my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. King James Version says it will make you free. See, when you try to just hold on to the law of the prophets, it puts you under bondage. Even, and I'm going to swing real wide one way, even when you're grace, 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 everything, we can do whatever we want to, you are under bondage. Because you better be right. <laughs> I was witnessing to an atheist. Anyway. And he's like, well, what happens if you live your whole life by this Bible doing good, doing good, doing good? And at the end, it meant nothing. I said, I have nothing to be ashamed of. But if you're wrong... I mean, I would rather be me that lived my whole life. Well, not my whole life, but you know what I mean. The majority of my life. That's why I tell, but no, I'm not going to say it. Yeah, I am. I've made my family promise. Don't you dare cremate me. I've worked too long and too hard to stay out of the fire. Don't throw me in there when I have no say. Now, I'm not saying anything. I believe, I preach it. If that's you, I'm so happy for you. But not me. But I was telling this atheist that it doesn't matter. If I live my whole life living good, doing good, being good, loving God, what have I lost? Regret, remorse, Trouble beyond trouble. I'm trying to think of all the things that I gained that I am now, of the word says, ashamed of. You know, regret after regret after regret after regret. Missed time after missed time. Wasted time after wasted time. Migraines, headaches, you know. it's just, uh, you know, If I could pile them all up and compare the two, what have I lost? True freedom. Freedom. And Galatians 5.1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Did you think about that? True freedom. Again, Bob Vila said, you know, Bob Vila, he's the king of construction, right? Bob Vila said that once you've secured the end to be plumbed and with your string, Holding on to your bob, it's called, let it swing freely to find truth, to find what's true. It was for freedom, your ability to reach whoever that Christ set you free. And I want to show you that before we close. Turn with me over to, I'm going to jump ahead a lot, so give me a second to just make sure I didn't miss anything. Mm. You go there, I'll be there in just a minute. 1 Corinthians, I'm going to take you through 8, 9, and 10 real quick. I want to show you the reason that Christ set you free to love. Free to love, that's it, free to love. It's not for free, I get to waste my whole life now on myself. I'm free, free, free. I can, what, be selfish? No, it was free to love. Free to love what? Free to love others. He set me free. He set me free to have freedom to love others. And I'll show you that. We've been set free to love others right where they're at. This is why we're set free. Not to live any way we want. Not to do what we want. Not to live selfishly. It's so that we can be free to love others. Love seeks peace and unity. Love seeks peace and unity. If at any time disagreements arise, true love focuses 
on unity to bring peace. True love focuses on unity. When there's a disagreement, focuses on unity. Sorry. Yes, focuses on unity to bring peace because we are called to be peacemakers. If it's not a heaven or hell issue, stop focusing on the one thing you disagree on. Focus on the millions of other things you do agree on, and that's how you bring unity, and that's how you bring peace. That's how a body of 100, 200, 500, however big a church is, can come together and move in unity. But the minute they start nitpicking one little thing we don't agree on, there's disunity and no peace. And then the world looks at the church and says, see, look, they can't even agree together. They're all supposed to be God's children. If they can't agree together, then that must be a lie. Can't be true. But see, in our age, in our times, what we're living in now is everybody's opinion matters. Puke. Let me just be honest a minute. Puke. Really. Uh, this is the only opinion that matters. God's whole word is the only thing that matters. And when brothers and sisters in the church start disagreeing on what it says and focusing just on that, well, I see my index is on page 9 because I use the New International Version. You use a King James Version. You know that that's outdated and you're probably going to hell for reading that because you can't understand it. My Bible is correct. Yeah, I got a bigger Bible. Your Bible's too small. Oh, you have an electronic Bible. I know that from the devil. <laughs> and then the world looks at us, comes in here and says, this is God's peace. This is God's love. No way. No wonder we're a laughing stock to the world right now. Love seeks peace and unity. Remember, Jesus said in John 13, 35, they will know you are my disciples by the love you have for each other. So the flip side of that is you, they, you will be shouting to the world, you are not my disciples if you can't even love each other. Oh, that'll preach all by itself. The longer I'm married, which, by the way, today is 29 years. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I have over and over again taught these um, video sessions on marriage enrichment, and I love laughing your way to a better marriage. That guy is hilarious. And he said his son asked him one time, Man, Dad, I think it, at that time it was 30-some years. You've been married. That is just awesome. And he's like, son, it's nothing. It just feels like five minutes. He's like, really? He goes, yeah, underwater. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy. Marriage is not easy. If somebody says, I mean, for those that are getting ready to get married, maybe you should plug your ears. It sometimes can be a testament of what hell is going to be like. <laughs> really. It is not going to. As a matter of fact, that's why Paul urges, um, if you get married, you will have trouble. You don't hear that in the marriage vows when they're, you know, thank you for gathering with us today. Are you ready for trouble? <laughs> You say I do, you say I do, and he's like, I don't, I'm out. You know? Premarital counseling could really change a lot of people's lives if we preached that more. But 29 years today, let me try to get you to understand how important unity in the body of Christ is and loving for each other. Do you think at any time within 29 years of Brian that we disagreed on anything? Of course not. Of course not. Never. We were in counseling within the first week of marriage. 
Let me be truly honest. How many young kids? Oh, we don't have young. It was over sex. I'm like, this guy's a pig. This can't be right. You know, I'm out. I did not sign up for this. And the pastor's like, you guys didn't talk about this before? I'm like, I came to you for premarital counseling. You're supposed to warn us that men are pigs. She's like, what? I didn't. And I do that in premarital counseling. That's one of the things I make the couples do. The husbands take a piece of paper. The wives take a piece of paper and write down, how many times do you think you're supposed to have sex a week? He writes down his number. She writes, 100% of the time. It is like five to one ratio difference. And let me tell you, if it goes into double digits, guys, you need to talk to her, okay? Because she's usually like, once a week. And he's like, 25? Is there something wrong with that? <laughs> what? I guess I could, yeah, I could do that. Uh, did you ever think in 29 years of marriage, Brian and I might have had a disagreement? Let's just say, let's just say one, okay? For Brian's sake, because I don't see him here right now. Yeah, he ran home in shame. No, here he comes. He probably heard his name, so he, he's like, she's talking about me. Anyway, in 29 years of marriage, that we only had one disagreement. And he's walking in at the perfect time. It's so funny. <laughs> Happy anniversary, Brian. I know. Actually, he wins the trophy for being married to me for 29 years, you know. I always put it back on him, but anyway. But in 29 years, if at any time we had a disagreement, if we treated our marriage like people treat the church... Well, I don't disagree with so-and-so. I can just find another church, right? Well, this church believes this. If it's not a heaven or hell issue, then search, seek out, and focus on the things you do agree on. Because if we're supposed to be the bride of Christ, and here we are in a physical married relationship, and Brian and I have a disagreement, if I treated our marriage, or we treated our marriage like most people treat the church, which is the bride of Christ, and I'm out because I don't agree on this thing or that thing, <laughs> yeah, you offended me, or he made me mad. You think Brian ever made me mad in 29 years, or I ever made him mad in 29 Never. Look at him. He's going, never, honey. Never. You'll get extra dessert. Good boy, Brian. <laughs> no, but we do that, don't we? And then the world looks at us and says, "What? no wonder we have 85% unchurched in Benzie County alone. It's our fault. He says, they will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. I told you I was getting you there and I'm running out of time, but let me just quickly show you this. In 1 Corinthians, and this is going to be homework for you because I'm, I'm not going to be able to do it justice here by just quickly hitting on it. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. This is why. This is why we're set free to love. This is why we're set free. Whoops, I almost jumped ahead. No, right there. 8, starting at verse 9, chapter 8, 1 Corinthians 8, starting at chapter 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge of eating, and he's talking about eating just because at that time that was the big thing. Today it could be whatever, right? Dear Lord, whatever. You could have a freedom that you feel okay with God to do. But he's, what he's trying to do is just because you have a freedom in love is not for you to be selfish. That's what I'm trying to show you here. It's not so you can selfishly live. Have you ever heard people? I mean, I've used, I used to get into... 
um, home groups, and it felt like, and I even said it one time, I stood up and I felt, and I said, when did this fellowship turn into a chopping block for the pastor? Feel like you've put me up on a chopping block and let's go ahead and cut you apart, see what's really inside of you because I want to do this and they want to do that, and they want to do that, and I am preaching anything but their freedom to do what they want to do is wrong. I'm like, show me that in the word. Our freedom is not for us. For freedom, you have been set free. Whose freedom? Their freedom. That's what he's saying right here. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating a, in an idol's temple won't be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idol. So this weak brother for whom Christ died, don't you forget that is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way, you wound their weak conscience. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat, if what I listen to, if what I drink, if what I watch, if what I blah, whatever causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat or do that thing again so that I will not cause him to fall. So for whose freedom have you been set free? For others, not for you to selfishly live out your life. Look over at uh, chapter 9, starting at verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone. Hear him? Why? To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And I've heard people out of context use that scripture to say, well, that's why I need to keep drinking so I can reach those who are drinking. <laughs> what? I'm sorry, but if we fall into a, a muddy pit, you say the only way you can get me out of the muddy pit is to climb in the pit with me? That don't make sense. Now we're both in the pit. No. He says, I've become all things, which means I am free. There's that plumb block Bob line again. That love, I'm free to swing over here. Why? Because everything hangs on love and love them. I'm free. See this? I'm free for others to love others. Cross before me, the world behind me. I'm free to love, and I will always, boom, be true. Always. One more scripture, I promise. Maybe. No. The next one, look it up yourself. He says it again in 1 Corinthians 10. Remember, when you're reading the Word of God, please don't stop at chapters. Please read in context, and actually, if at all possible, especially if you're in the New Testament toward the back here, smaller books, read the book through. Don't stop at a chapter because you might miss something. You know, he's continuing his thought, and, you know, we threw in a chapter there so it's easier to read, and, and we've missed the point. And the point here, in, if you start at um, chapter 10, at verse 23, isn't finished till you get through 11.1. 1. 
when he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, where at the beginning of that he says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Why are you free? For freedom you've been set free. Free to love. Love. And still be true. Wow, am I out of time. Let me just say, to wrap this up, and Christo, if you'd come back up for me. Actually, if you would have done that 10 minutes ago, it's all her fault. So me going over is her fault. You ever go to an amusement park, and at the amusement park, you go up to the roller coasters, which, by the way, I love roller coasters. Anyway, and they have that stand, they have that sign that says you have to be, and there's always a little finger of this guy, right? See, the world just wants to point the finger. But there's always this finger of this guy. You have to be this tall to go on this ride. Right? The sign is Jesus, not each other. He says you're a fool if you compare yourself with each other. Jesus is the standard. He's the one holding his arms out. He's the one saying, me, me, me. Why? God said, I predestined. I, my intent before the beginning of the world was to create you into the image of my son. He's the standard. He's the standard. He's the standard we stand up to. If we're Christians, that's called little Christ. If somebody or the world, or something or a bad day or whatever squeezes you, Jesus should come out. Anything else, there's something wrong. Because that's like me picking up an orange and squeezing an orange and apple juice coming out. There's something wrong with that. If the world squeezes me, my situations, my problem, a lack of this or a lack of that, squeezes me, Jesus should ooze out of me. Not, well, I wish you wouldn't have. Not, well, God will get you. Well, they owe me. They're the ones that... I was asked at Life Group when we were talking about walking out your salvation, walking into um, your destiny, basically, which is walking this world as Jesus, right? That's what we're commanded to do. The person asked me, how? Just tell me how. How do I do that? I said, it's real easy. If what you're, you're, you're troubled with, is this okay? Is it not okay? If you can't fit it into this word and it be all right still, there's something wrong with it. If you can't take that thing and put it into the life of Jesus and say, no, actually, you know what? I don't see Jesus doing that. You shouldn't be doing it. You're like, well, Brenda, that's such a high standard. Again, it's not you walking it out. It's God in you. So if it won't fit into the life of Jesus, it shouldn't fit into your life. If it don't fit into the word of God, it should not fit into your belief. People come up all the time with all these harebrained new philosophies, ideas, or, you know, we're standing on this. Show me in here how that fits. Because if it doesn't fit with the original, it's not God. Period. And stop focusing on all the little nitpicky things that you don't agree on. And focus on what you do agree on. Because our job as a body of Christ is to be in unity. Love. In unity. So again, so setting the standard first, be fixed to God. This line must be secured in God. Second, grab a hold of, cleave to, cleave to the whole word of God. And the third step is make sure that that line is love, true love. That you're receiving his true love so that you can love others as 
Christ. And again, if the Lord wills next week, we'll look at unmasking the enemy. Some of the stinking deceptions he uses. We're going to rip his mask right off next week. People are going to be set free. I just believe it. Because he, remember, he prowls around like a lion. Who is the lion of Judah? Jesus. So what does the enemy do? He prowls around like a lion. He's trying to portray Jesus in your life. It even says he masquerades as a angel of light. If he came in all his hideous lies, you would go, hello, that's the enemy. So he has to masquerade. He has to pretend. Don't that sound good? That sounds kind of good. Sounds like Jesus would say that. Well, we're going to rip his mask off next week. Lord willing. And then the following week, we're going to talk about faith raises the bar. So I want to close with this prayer for you that's found in Philippians 1. So if you'd stand, I want to pray for you. I want to pray this scripture over you. And then we're opening up the altars. And if you're here today and you do not have a solid relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord, Savior, leader of your life. If you've noticed through this message or throughout this week or whenever that there's other things that keep crowding in and pressing in on your heart and you want to make Jesus Christ again or maybe for the first time seated on the throne of your heart, don't leave today without coming up. And we'll pray with you. It's not some incantation of, you know, over your life that you just say these words and poof, you're, you're a Christian now. It's not that. It's a relationship that begins. And I, I challenge you, like Pastor Neil said, that if you make that commitment today, the first thing you should do is tonight be water baptized. Don't miss out. It's not only a public declaration of your commitment to God, water baptism. It's also a prophecy of your future. Water baptism is when I come up out of that water, I will walk my life as Christ walked because it's Christ in me. The declaration, the hope of glory, the mystery of all heaven now in me. I want to pray this scripture over you and then we'll open up the altars. It's found in Philippians 1. It's verses 9 and 11. It says, This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. In knowledge, in learning God. And depth of insight, which is wisdom, how to apply this word. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I pray that for you. Father, we just bend our hearts to you right now. Lord, we need your love. Lord, I pray that the, the love that you have for them would be not only evident in their life, but would be a marker of their life. Lord, that it would always go before them. It would be as a trail blazing behind them. Your presence be so overwhelming on them that wherever they walk, that love would abide, that love would be felt, Lord, that people would be drawn to them for the love that you have poured over them and your presence, oh God, like the fragrance of heaven, Lord, that people can smell, they can sense love came near. Wherever we go, God, let us be marked with that love. That it would increase our knowledge of you, God, and who you are and who we are in you. God, that we could walk out your word correctly because it's you in us. It's you in us that's fulfilling all the law, all the commandments. It's you and us as we're being built up into the house, as we're being built up 
line upon line, person upon person, God, into your holy body, the bride of Christ, that we would so be servants to each other, God, out of the love that you have for us, Lord, that the world will see that we are your disciples.